You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. You have crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while (coughs) was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. May God add his blessing to that reading. Thank you so much, Judy. I might just pray for this morning and this community. Worst flu season in on records, I was listening to this morning, so I know there's lots of people unwell or coming out of being unwell or potentially going into being unwell. So let's pray for all of that and, uh, and, and this word this morning. Yes, and we can pray for Jeremy, who's, who's, yeah, absolutely. Father, we just lift up this morning, we lift up this word right now, this sh- short moment while we unpack such a heavy, deep, rich, part of your word, Lord. And Father, we just lift up the community as well here. We pray for those that might be unwell, are recovering in this crazy flu, se- flu season. Schools almost, one of the schools on the coast, Lord, we know almost closed down with gastro, Father. Just these crazy things going around, Lord, and we just pray for healing in that and comfort in that. You'd hold us to be strong in that. And we just pray for those that are suffering and um, with that and also Uh, with things going on in their mind, with loneliness, anxiety. Father, be with this community, be with those this community is praying for, and be with us this morning as we unpack your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a series called Jesus is Better Than. We'll probably be in that series uh, till maybe Christmas with a short break. So we'll do a pre-Christmas sermon and we'll have a short break 
Um, not sure what we're speaking on, but we'll go into some sort of practice over a couple of weeks. But other than that, we're tracking through Hebrews. Um, Jesus is better than, insert thing, he is better than. Um, and last week we looked at this, just a quick recap, but I encourage you to follow along, have a listen. In a worldly culture of criticism, consumerism and comparison, when everything is about trying to be better or it's not quite right or we want more or look what they have, there's a challenge for us that we need a little bit more celebration. I'm not saying, I said this last week, I'm not saying party for the sake of party. I'm not talking about what, what goes on in the nightclub across ca- uh, um, surface. I'm not talking about just trying to escape things by partying. I'm talking about celebrating what Jesus is doing. And even like we sung this morning, when we're not sure of what he's doing, still celebrating because he is good. And we're going to unpack that more in a moment. So that was last week. Let's spend a sec just going through this scripture, though, a little bit, a couple of lines at a time. But firstly, who's heard of this song? Who's heard the song, What If God Was One of Us? I'm not going to sing it. It's actually not a nice song. It's drenched in cynicism around God. But uh, it was brought out in 1995 by Joan Osborne. Uh, but we've all heard it. It's coming on radio. It's a catchy tune. What if God was one of us? Some of the lines are like, what if he was a stranger on the bus? This question, what if God actually caught the bus? Again, not a nice song, not encouraging. <laughs> to go over and listen, it's pretty cynical. But it's what expressed in that song. This singer saying, imagine if God understood what real life was like. Imagine if God understood me. Imagine if he had to catch the bus. Imagine if he was just trying to find his way home. Imagine if he was lonely. And although it's a hard question, at the centre of its heart, it's a desperate cry to understand life, to understand God. This universe, if you will, our purpose, we want to understand it. In fact, it's one of, if not the question. Does whoever's in control of all of this, does he care? Does he know me? Does he... Does he understand? Christians or non-Christians both have this question. We have millions of ways it comes out in our culture. Here's a few. I've, I've said a few a couple of weeks ago, but here's a few. Oh, it must be karma. Someone desperately trying to understand how this all works, how God works. I'm not saying these are right. I'm just saying these are things you hear all the time. I have a bit of a feeling about that one, a bit of an instinct. As if there's a supernatural way to understand if there's order this one's very popular at the moment the universe must be telling you something (laughs) you might as well just say god who's the foundation of the universe the creator is telling you something but no we're scared of that word so the universe is telling you something or trust your gut which is very very its origins actually come in ancient hebrew where people believed so the soul situated here, not here. And so it was actually what you ate, what you put in your gut. Um, yeah, I won't go down that track. That's another time for, no, probably not even a sermon. That's a conversation to ask me around a small, but it's fascinating. Trust your gut, again, is a reference to sort of trust what you're feeling or the thing that is in control of the universe might be telling you something through your gut. We're desperate to make sense of God. What if we could understand him? What if he was one of us? 
This is the question the early Christians were asking themselves as they got persecuted for their faith when Hebrews was written. As they are facing opposing views and philosophies, as people are saying, hey, it's been about 50 years now, Jesus isn't back. Huh? What do you think's going on there? As they're getting questions, as, as the, we know that one of the um, emperors would take Christians, cover them in wax and make them, out, make them into candles in his front lawn. Uh, he hated Christians. So it's not a great time to be a Christian when this book is written. So you're going to have questions. Is this real? Where is God? Why is he not back? What's he up to? What's he doing? God, what's going on? Very similar questions. We don't face that level of persecution in the West. Other places in the world do. But we still ask the same question. And so this writer's encouragement is on point for us this morning. To look at fresh, to be encouraged by what God is actually doing and how we understand him. So let's have a look deeply, deeper at what's going on. Hey, just a side note. There's no way to cover this all in a two-hour sermon. There's no way to cover this all. It's, it's rich, it's deep. That's why we have a reading list. Take it home, wrestle with it. Cut into it like a big thick bit of meat. Chew on it. Find out what God's saying. Read about it. That's the point of the readings, to dig deeper into There's no way we can cover this all this morning. This is just an overview of that. He says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. The writer is referencing Psalms 8 here, quoting Psalms 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, and turning it on its head to say, why does God care about men? Why does God care about the human race? Why would you think about us, God? But he actually turns it to say, the most holiest man, Jesus, shows us something, speaks to that picture. And so he turns it around and talks about Jesus, saying, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So he talks about Jesus' story, coming, being fully man, fully God, dying for us, and bringing us back to the Father. His journey. Let's keep going. Now, now, so we're speaking about Jesus. Now, putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who is a little while made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. So he's saying, if you're not getting who I'm talking about, hint, talking about namely Jesus, crowned him with glory and honour because of the suffering of death so that by grace of God he might taste death, death for everyone. For it is fitting that he whom by all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Let's pause there. At present, he says, we do not see everything. The writer acknowledges that life is pretty confusing. The writer acknowledges that life is pretty hard. The writer acknowledges that if you are truly asking the questions, you are going to be asking the question, what are you doing here, God? You will have seasons where you might even yell at the sky, what are you doing here, God? What on earth is going on? The Bible's not scared of that. God's not scared of that. In fact, he's okay with questions. The writer acknowledges that we don't have the full picture. Gives us permission 
to not expect everything to make sense. Jesus often would tell a story and then keep going, not explaining the story. He's okay with you having questions. Questions mean we seek. Questions mean we, we pursue. Jesus, although not offering all the answers to every question in the moment all the time, offers us a way through it towards the truth and towards the life. The writer here is telling us that, yes, even in the shadows, as we sang, even in the dark times, God's in it. God is still stirring amongst it. Jesus has made, in fact, it says his purpose perfect through suffering. Jesus was already perfect, but he actually brought about what we did. He could actually bring it, restore it to perfection through those moments of confusion. In the chaos, in the confusion, Jesus is at work and there's a bigger picture that we may not be able to see in the moment. So you can be confused some days. You can have bad days. You will, how's this? You will have some bad days. Bible promises that. <laughs> Literally tells you you will have bad days. But in Jesus, know this, we're heading at light speed towards a time when all will be revealed. Kind of like looking back and going, oh, I get it. Oh, when I was down here, when I was here, when it was messy, when it was confusing, you were doing, oh, I get it. Sometimes we have moments as Christians like this. It all lines up. You're like, oh, turns out God's at work. How good are those moments? How often do we have moments where it doesn't still make sense? We have hope here that one day, it'll, he's at work, he's doing something, trust him. Although hard, trust him. What's going on in your life, I wonder, at the moment that's just confusing, making no sense? You're like, what are you doing here, God? Is he still superior? Is he still better than the confusion? Let's keep reading. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, still talking about Jesus, all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call you bro them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children God has given me. I and the children God has given me. Although we live in a non-perfect kingdom, although life is confusing, although there is suffering, in all of this, God is not distant. God is in it. In fact, his language, he wants to tell you how close he is. So he uses this language of family. Jesus often used the language of family. Every chance he got. It was quite offensive at some times. We'll do a series on that. I've been listening to a series on that and I'm inspired about how often he said, we're a family. It's why this church's vision is around the family table. Not the business table, not the non-for-profit table, not the shareholders table, not the nice club table, but the family table. Who has ever been part of some sort of family? <laughs> in, some, in some way, shape or form. You'll know it's messy. In fact, some of you will even struggle with me saying family because you have memories there. You have not great views of family and the father. And I want to say that God wants to do work in that. 
and he wants to restore that. That's not what God's talking about here. He's talking about a good family and a good father. That's how close Jesus wants to dwell amongst the confusion and mess. And that's why the writer here, and I like this, he says, and again today, and then I'll drift, as we talked about last week, then I'll drift and I'll forget you're good, and then I'll get confusing, then I'll get messy, and then again I'll remind myself. And then again I'll remind myself that we're family, that Jesus is in it, in the human mess. I'll put my trust in Jesus. He's not afraid to it. This guy's not afraid to admit that in the process he drifts. But then he remembers what God has done. He remembers Jesus and he puts his sight back on him. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things and through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, meaning humans. Offspring of Abraham was their language. It meant them, their generation, those people. They they knew it was their family lineage. Therefore he had to be made like the brothers in every aspect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. High priest is saying basically, Think of the holiest person you know. Think of your greatest preacher, your podcast. Think of the holiest guy. That's the high priest in their time. He's saying Jesus is the the great high priest. As in, he is the holiest man, God, that you know. He's the only man, God, that you know. But he's also the holiest man that you know. Therefore, he is made like brothers in every respect so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make proposition for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. God was one of us. God was one of us. This is saying, in amongst it all, he wasn't just the holiest God, he was the holiest man. The man God, he was one of us. He understood what it was like, not to catch the bus, but he understood what it's like to be in this world, in this confusion. The great unexplainable, uncomprehendable, uncreated, because he's a creator, became man. The word humbled can also be translated humiliated. He humiliated himself in becoming a man. This means, and don't take this irreverency, I just need to get the point across, the urge to pick your nose sometimes. Run to the bathroom. Roll your ankle on seemingly nothing. What it means to be human. How about this? When you're disappointed. When you've maybe lost a loved one. Or when you're lonely. When you feel like everyone's against you, we have one of those days. God truly understands this. God has become one of us. This is the central message of this verse. Again, a quick reminder this isn't just a lovely thought that this writer wrote, it's not wishful thinking. He's in danger of getting killed for writing stuff like this. Caesar at the time was claiming to be some sort of demigod. So to say that there has only been one man who is greater than all the men, who is also God, 
them are fighting words. <laughs> That's how you get yourself killed and your whole church killed. He who wrote this and the church receiving this believe this 110%. It's not wishful thinking. It's not just to help them get by. It is what they believe because why else would you put your life in danger if you did not believe that this man was also God, that God was one of us? So, great, cool story of Putty. As if to say, great, that's a meaty bit of scripture and I hope you take that home and I hope you read over that. But it's 2019, great, Steve, that's, that sounds like good theology. How on earth is that going to translate after the last worship song and I go have coffee and then I go out into the world. What does that mean for me right now? I'm so glad you asked. Bit of exegesis there, but what does it mean? Well, Jesus is how we understand God. We touched on this a couple of weeks ago and we'll touch on this again in this series because this is the point of this book. It's so important to understand we're desperate to understand God as mentioned. Do you know the very first children, very first generation, Cain and Abel, one hears from God, one doesn't quite hear from God, that one kills him. Generation one, after the curse, and we're already fighting about who hears from God. Generation one, there's a religious holy war between two brothers already. How's that for the seed of corruption in our world? How's that for the curse of sin? From that moment, we are desperate to understand God. Desperate. Why do you think so many superheroes are, films are out at the moment? I'm not against superheroes. I'm pro-superhero films. But our culture, very, almost too pro um, superhero films. But our culture is desperate. We're spending the latest Avengers was the highest grossing film of all time. Went over a billion dollars in the first weekend and continues to grow. We are obsessed with superheroes. Do you know why? Because it's fun. But it's fun because we're desperate to know that maybe there was someone that could know something. We're desperate to watch someone that could lead us, have the perfect ideals, the perfect ways. We want someone to lead us, show us a way. And so for enjoyment, we watch superheroes. I spoke about crystals, karma, horoscopes. The obsession with celebrities, we're desperate for people. Whether it be the royal family or the Kardashians, whether it's a sporting star, we worship these people. We honestly hope, do you know why? We hope they maybe know something that we don't and they give us someone to follow. They, please, we think, give us a way to live life, celebrity, sports star. Lance Armstrong is a great example of this. Wrote books about dedication, motivation. Was a hero to so many about his endurance. What an athlete. Whole industry on motivational speaking and motivational books and it turns out he's a human being and he cheats. He's just a lost, broken man that doesn't have all the answers. Tiger Woods... Jenna said to someone not that long ago, Tiger Woods, the family man. Isn't he amazing? He's a cheater. That's it. You're spot on, Matt. Turns out not so much. Turns out he's the opposite of a family man. Religion does this also. Religion doesn't get out. Bill Hybels. Every, if you go into a Koorong or wherever and you look, give me the best 
book on church leadership, they'll probably give you a book by Bill Hybels. His whole career running the Global Leadership Summit, speaking to millions on leadership, planting churches, leading a church. He's now hiding away in some sort of cabin trying to wait for all the sex allegations, sexual allegations against him from other women to cool down. In his retirement, it all came out. Turns out he was just a broken man. Even things we do in church, we're so desperate to understand God. Pictures of Jesus, songs about Jesus. These, funny enough, do you know it's possible to worship worship? It's possible to worship pictures of Jesus. They might point to Jesus, but please don't forget they're not Jesus. Singing about Jesus is not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. Sounds silly, but we can't help ourselves. Human beings love to make things more important than they are when Jesus is truly the only thing important. Church, if you want to understand God, put away the crystals, put away the horoscope, put away the celebrities. Put away your systems you think control or go to God for a second. Some of them are good. It's all about where you put it, where you place it. The writer here says, look to Jesus. Read about Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to mould you and get to know Jesus, be in relationship with Jesus and start to look like Jesus. Then you can understand God. The only way to understand God. There's this story in the Old Testament. And they do exactly this. I love it. Couldn't, it puts it better than I could put it, so let me read. But they say to Samuel, who's the elder of that community, the judge, and there's a couple of judges, he's sort of the elder uh, with a couple of other guys, but they say to Samuel, that's not good enough. We don't just, we're not looking for a bit of discernment. We don't want just a bit of eldership. We want a king, Samuel. Give us a king. Give us a tangible person we can look to. Yahweh's too confusing. We want a tangible king. So Samuel goes to God and they have a conversation. And it turns out God says, all right, okay. They've been saying this for years now. I'll give them their celebrity leader, ruler, king. But give them the warning first. And so Samuel says this. Let me read through this rather quickly. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people, listen to this, who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to chariots. Um, And uh, sorry, reign over, take you, appoint them to chariots and to be the horsemen to run before his chariots. They might get crushed by the chariots. They're the first people out. He'll appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. He'll build armies to protect his kingdom and some to plough his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipments for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumes and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He'll be corrupt. He'll be about his kingdom. He will take the tenth of your grain of your vineyards and he'll give it to the officers and to the servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flock and you shall be slaves. And in that day you'll cry out, how's this? You'll cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will answer, good luck. No, no. The Lord will not answer you in that day. You wanted it. You wanted your king. Fine, have it. He'll be corrupt. Turns out when you give a man 
a woman a ton of power, a ton of money, a ton of influence. It turns out they're still a human being and they're broken. Saul showed us that and then King David almost got there but fell the same way Bill Hybels did. You want a celebrity, lift them up high, give them an imaginal power, put them in God's place. Oh, it turns out they're a cheat. Oh, it turns out they're corrupt. I'm not saying every celebrity is corrupt. Don't put people in that place. They probably are, possibly. No. You want to put someone in the church high up and give them incredible influence, give them power and money above things where no one can question anything. I'm not talking about an elder picture here for discernment and seeking God's will. I'm talking about if you want a king in your church, oh, it turns out there's been abuse of children. It turns out that ultimate power has corrupted these people. We see this in our world. This warning is there. How's that 4,000-year-old wisdom and it speaks to us today? Once you acknowledge this, that there's no one that will fit that place, that's where you can start because that's where you can put Jesus in. It first comes with an acknowledgement. Maybe you need a second just to think about what you've put in place of God in that, in that area. It's so easy to do. We all do it again and again and again. I come back to you, God, and put you in that place. So here's where it gets good and we're, we're, as we start to finish here. The writer of Hebrews says this, though. This is the good bit. What if there was a king? that rather than abusing power, rather than sitting on his throne with creation slowly, just watching it destroy itself, he broke the universe, if you will, became lower than the angels, humiliated himself into the mess. He walked amongst us, ate with thieves and prostitutes and the poor and invited them into a better way to live. Challenge the powerful and elite and the religious. Turn the kingdom upside down, if you will. Challenge them to be better. Then rather than using that power and influence for himself, gave us or gave his life as an exchange, which does something in the fabric of creation that paved a way for us to get out of the hamster death wheel that is life and sin and darkness and offered us a way back to the creator, to our true purpose, the founder of salvation. I love that. Not the guy reading the book, the author. He's not reading, oh, this is a good book on salvation, I have a little bit of a read. No, he wrote the book on salvation. Jesus reveals God's goodness. No longer do we have a non-tangible Yahweh. We still have Yahweh, God. That's a Hebrew name for God, if you hear me say that. We have a tangible way to see God is good because we can see God fully in Jesus as he walked amongst us. He shows us there is a king worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship. Whatever you're holding, whatever system or God or celebrity or thing, it's time to exchange it to following him. Jesus helps us see the Father's goodness or sorry, allows us to see the Father's goodness. Let me say that again. Jesus allows us to see the Father's goodness. Suddenly you can bank on him because you know he's the good one to follow. All right.
So there's, I'm going to ask Josie, you can start playing the next song in the, um, if you feel comfortable with that, Josie, but if, if you don't, that's okay. But I'll get you to come up and tinker because I'm just going to give you two challenges and then we're going to go into a song. So I'm preparing you for that. Here's where the rubber hits the road. Two different people, two scenarios this morning. I'm going to invite you down for prayer if you'd like to. One, you drifted a bit and you need one of those and again that the Hebrew writer does. And you've made something else. Made a system, made a thing. Who knows? I don't know what yours is. And you need to put Jesus back there. Love you to come down for prayer. Love you to come down for prayer. In fact, let me, we'll see Jono. I'm going to pick on Jono. We've got James. Just trying to see he's not who in the worship. I'm going to pick on Steph, if that's okay. And then, Nancy, would you pray for people? Is it all right? Can I put you on the spot to pray for some people? Cool. Just looking at down the front. So if you want to come see one of them and come down the front, our last song, you can pray for this. And let's, let's just admit that sometimes we drift. And again. The second type of person, you're going through something lonely at the moment. You feel like no one could understand. You forget <laughs> that when Jesus said to his friends, Pray for me because the next few moments, the next weekend is going to be rough. They fell asleep. He knows what it's like to be disappointed. You forget that Jesus is the only person on the planet that has the closest knowledge of him, John the Baptist, that probably understands Jesus. His cousin gets beheaded and actually tells us that Jesus needed some time away after that. He heard the news and he tries to retreat and the crowds keep trying to follow him. Shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. Jesus cried. Jesus lost people. Jesus was disappointed. Jesus was tortured. And Jesus died. Whatever messy, dark thing you think Jesus can't handle, then I don't mean this arrogantly, but you don't understand the gospel enough yet. And we all do that. We all do that. The gospel says it's just the right amount of mess and darkness for Jesus to mess with. In fact, heal, restore with. If you have been feeling lonely, I've lonely on my mind for some reason. If you've been feeling disconnected, if you've been feeling like hits on all end, Jesus truly gets it and he wants to be a part of it. He wants to be in it. And so if that's you, I don't mind if we have the old church down the front, we'll have to move some seats back. I'll be okay with that. We'll be okay with moving that back. Let's just ask Jesus into that mess. Into that confusion. Into that darkness. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to play one more song. During that last song, if that's you in either that category or you just feel like prayer, come on down. Those people are here love to pray for you. And the rest of us can sing along. And they'll come back up after it's all done and we'll read the benediction. Let's pray. Father, stir within us now, Lord, as we dedicate this hour and a half plus morning tea, Lord, to you. As we worship you, Lord, let it not go void. Let it not just be a great thought. Let it influence us, Father. So, Spirit, be tangible with us now. Be on us now. Not as a command, but an invitation.
Stir within us. Stir within the places we don't really want you to go. Stir within the thoughts that we don't really know that you know. Stir within the, the gods that we've made so much more important than you. And Father, just pray you help us put you back again in the center. There's nothing else worthy of our worship than you, Lord. There is nothing else better than Jesus. Far out, we've tried for 2,000 years and no one's come up with anything, God. You are worthy of all our praise. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Amen.